Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Norman of Rumble in the Garden, and you are listening to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. We are coming to you on Tuesday, June 5th, and I've got Joseph Nardone with me, who is going to talk with us a little bit about, uh, we're going to talk together about St. John's to be more uh, exact. Um, it's June, so the off-season is sort of settling down. Kids are heading back to campus and are getting acclimated with their coaches, whether they're new coaches or uh, you know the coaches that they've had for years. Um, before we go on, I'll let you know that you can find us at RumbleSBN on Twitter, Rumble in the Garden on Facebook, and online at rumbleinthegarden.com on the SB Nation Network, where we cover St. John's and occasionally other things. Joe, you want to say a little bit about where people can find your work and where you've been? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. Um, right now I'm at a place called Clutch Points, mostly editing, not so much writing. Um, college basketball work will be floating around hopefully somewhere soon. Um, and that's about it for now. Not a lot of places to, to apply the trade these days. Joe's got a lot of uh, interesting stuff to say about uh, the relationship between the NCAA and the players, which we won't necessarily get too deeply into today. Um, and also has written a lot of really good pieces. So take a look out there for his stuff. Uh, I think you like it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about St. John's. So season ended few months ago, you know, second round of the uh, Big East tournament where they got scraped by Xavier after beating Georgetown. And Chris Mullen and the crew with their, you know, they, they ended with what, like five or six players, essentially. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few departures. Kasumi Yakwe is transferred to UConn. Tariq Owens has transferred to Texas Tech. Yeah, Tech. And... Uh, <clears throat> Lamar Alabegovich, Bashir Ahmed have transferred. A lot of changes, but coming in, St. John's had a couple of transfers. Mikey Dixon, a guard from Quinnipiac, who scored something like 16 points a game, and C.D. Keita, who is a uh, you know, top 150 kind of player, uh, who was at South Carolina, big body inside. The Johnnies, though, then went out and to go along with the freshmen that they already had coming in, uh, Greg Williams from Louisiana, a guard, uh, Josh Roberts, a forward from uh, Troy, Alabama, and Marcellus Erlington, a forward from St. John, uh, Don Bosco Prep in uh, New Jersey. Uh, you know, three guys who should contribute a little bit. Uh, they went out and they got a number of really interesting players. They got LJ Figueroa from the JUCO ranks. He was a kid from uh, Lawrence, Mass., who went down to Florida and kind of blew up but then ended up going JUCO after landing at New Mexico. They got uh, two more transfers, Eli Wright and David Carraher. Uh, Wright is from Mississippi State, and Carraher is from um, Houston Baptist. And those guys will sit out the season. But then Mustafa Heron, a top 20, top 30 kind of player uh, from uh, two years ago, he decided that he needed to transfer back home to be closer to his mother, who's had some uh, an injury and some sicknesses um, in the last year. So that's kind of exciting for St. John's, especially since 
he uh, he and his people seem to think that they can get an NCAA waiver so he could play immediately instead of sitting out a year. Fascinating stuff. So what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about the return of Shamori Pons because Shamori Pons uh, went out for to check out the NBA draft, tested the waters, as they say, and came back uh, after you know he got some feedback, did some uh, some workouts, some of them with Mustafa Heron, and uh, you know was going to try and solidify his draft stock for next year. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, Mustafa Heron, the NCAA, you know. And then we have some user questions. You know, people want to know what the team's ceiling is. They want to know um, how Mullen can stem the tide of transfers. We're going to talk about the favorite non-St. John's Big East player from the 2000s. I think that was Jared's question. And then a question about how playing time will be split. What do you think, Joe? Good set of topics? I think they're, I think it's great. All right. So, um Hoping that I don't sound that ridiculous. Again, I'm going to say Rumble in the Garden podcast. Thank you for listening. And as we get into this, make sure that if you feel like you need to send in some questions, you can hashtag it RMBLPOD or you can email us rumbleinthegarden at gmail.com. So, Joe, Shamori Pons goes out, you know, after scoring. Well, it's like 21 points per game this year. He's a six foot one guard. He's not necessarily lengthy, as they say. And he puts his name in for the draft because, you know, he's a high scoring player. And he has some interest, but not enough to even eke into the second round, at least in the mock drafts. What are your thoughts? It is weird. Um, so I think he's a fine college basketball player, a, a good one. Do you know what I mean? At the college basketball level, is he's kind of divisive with NBA people. Um, from guys I respect, like a Coles Wicker from the Stepian or Chris Stone at Sporting News, um, they really like him. Like like him a lot as an NBA prospect, way more than I think league executives like him. Because obviously, if league executives liked him as much as they did, he'd probably remain in the draft. I, I don't see the professional appeal because of the the six foot one body. He doesn't necessarily have that wingspan to make up for it. Nor is he like a dynamic athlete. Um, I know the idea of him is, and it's always like a prospect. It's always the idea of him. But generally speaking, a six foot one volume shooting guard doesn't translate well. You could point out to all the outliers, and I don't want to make this about an entire an NBA discussion. But he like, there's parts of his game that you could argue regressed this year. He was asked, or this past year, he was asked to do more. But like his his three point shooting was awful. Um, he turned the ball over more. I don't know if he was as engaged on defense as he was the season prior. So I, I I'm I'm a little miffed to be honest about why people that are Smart NBA people think he's such an alluring NBA prospect. So here's the thing, and I, I push back a little bit on... So first, I'd say that the way the year was set up went horribly, kind of, for him. I think not having Marcus Levette meant that he was always on the ball and he was the only, uh, you know, creator. That said, 
there are decisions to be made. You know, when you're shooting your threes from all over the floor and just kind of taking them willy-nilly, it's just sort of like, you know, make it rain style, that's not going to help your percentage. And, you know, maybe some people can do that. I just haven't seen those people. Um, you know, with the, that put away, because I've been critical, I was critical of some of the, the shot selection that Pons had, I do think that despite his size and height, there's enough game there that I think he could be interesting on the NBA level. Could be. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that need to change. For one, he's got to be a little bit of a better passer. He's, I think he was pretty engaged on defense. I think he did a lot of good stuff. And I think he can do more with less time on the floor and more with other players who can kind of pick up some of the slack. Um, the ability to get shots is an interesting one. And it's hard to evaluate because on one level, he's basically Marcus Hatton, you know, with like a little bit more first step quickness and a little less strength, I would say offhand. Um, and that's, you know, and Marcus Hatton is a player who, you know, when he came out of St. John's in uh, 2004, yeah, he didn't get drafted. He just uh, completed a, uh, what, 16-year, 12-year? However long, many years, career, 14-year um, He also had that horrible injury as well that kind of hurt him professionally be- before that. Hatton? Yeah. Then no, you're Hatton thinking get... of Kennedy. No, I think Hatton got... It injured early in his career. I might be wrong. I apologize. No, I think you're wrong. I, I I watched a lot of Hatton games, and he did not get injured. He injured others. No. <laughs> oh, that's Marcus Shelton Hatton. Don't don't be so mean to him. No, he's you know, we're not mean to Marcus Hatton. We're hoping to have him on the podcast one day. Um, but he's no, nah, he's you know the, these are two guys who there's a certain level of play where you're you're going to be an awesome European player. And a fringe NBAer, and the thing is, it's not—it's not like really a—it's not a, as much of a negative as people make it out to be. It's just that the NBA looks for a lot of potential players, and then a few players who can do the job. I mean, but then on the other hand, if you can think that Josh Hart is a viable NBA player, then why not Shimori Pons? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think. I mean, this is best like we're just guessing here so like i and i hate the idea of now that he's going back to college the idea of already viewing him again as an nba prospect but at six foot one and i don't view him as a dynamic athlete i don't know how he's supposed to create his shots at the next level then i don't think there's a lot of proof that he's a playmaking point guard so and i i don't think his defense translates well to the next level i don't here's what as a college basketball player He's a guy you definitely want on your team because, you know, being six foot one in college basketball really doesn't matter. And he's a good athlete for college basketball. He's a solid defender for college basketball. He's a good playmaker for college, like for that level. I just don't know what of his game is supposed to translate well that he would ever see any time on the floor in an NBA jersey. So I think it's a question of whether a team values a guy who can get shots in that manner. I don't know that they do, but I don't know that they don't. And I think the thing that Pons has is that he can stop on all sorts of spots of the, of the court and make a lot of really awkward shots against some you know, pretty tough defense. And I think that that's a skill, that kind of balance and ability to stop and change pace, 
I think that that does have value. Um, I would say that I think he's an okay playmaker, okay to good playmaker, and I think he can show more of that. But he has to show he has to have players around him who can make shots and then choose to make those passes. But I think that he has it in him. He just needs to, you know, it just needs to be showcased a little bit differently. I will agree with you, though, that his defense might more be Steele's defense instead of positional defense, and that's something that needs to improve a bit more. I mean, I don't think you're wrong. It's just, I here's the thing, like, if you you have to compare him to other prospects that have come out that are similar to him, I guess, in size and ability or the idea of what they are. And there's guys that have been so much more prolific in college or one more in college or seem more dynamic in a variety of different areas than him that have failed miserably. And it doesn't mean he's going to fail. It's just, I think the outlaw, there's far less outliers than there are, you know, the rule. He'd be the exception to the rule. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't mean like, there's obviously always guys that have come out that like, like, listen, Matthew Del, Del, Del I can't pronounce his last name. Del Del like, he's a joke now. Like, people make fun of him. But, like, he didn't project to be a good NBA player, which he's, which he's become. Do you know what I mean? Because he was kind of an undersized guard that played at a quote, air quote, mid-major. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes and these things happen far more than maybe I even like to admit because there's guys running all over the league, like, uh, like Ron Baker. I don't think projected to be, you know, a rotational no, no, player well, in the hold NBA. On. Hold on. Now, I think I think Ron Baker did project to be at least of interest. I think he was like a fringe first rounder even in some people's eyes. And I think for... But that fringe first rounder is like not even an NBA player, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not... Like, in an NBA draft, the first round, like, like last year's kind of an exception because that draft was so good. Most of the time, like, out of the 60 guys drafted... The guys at the end of, guys, of the first round, beginning of the second round, are sort of like, eh, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll take a chance. They just pop in, they pop out. Um, I mean, but I, but Ron, I maybe both... it was kind of unfair to that Ron Baker. Ron Baker, I don't think, was heavily recruited coming out of high school. No, not was... at all. I think he was a walk-on in, uh, in high school, something like that. Uh, but both Baker and Delhi, I think, are, you know, are guys who also had height and skill. And I think that's the difference between them and somebody like Shamori Pons, you know. And then when you get down to like, I don't know, I guess Randy Foy is like 6'4". I'm trying to think of like short guards who have uh, short, slim guards. And he's also listed at 6'1". I don't know what he, because he didn't go to the official combine, like how tall he really is. Because you know how this works. Like he might be 6'1 at St. John's, but what's he in the NBA? Is he 5'11"? He's he's gone through, um, like, I don't know if it was like the Team USA um measurements but he's gone through like official measurements and he was like you know recorded at six one six foot two wingspan something like that so i believe it you know but his his wingspan six two yeah it's a little it's not long he's not lengthy that's which very is, bad <laughs> which is uh one of the one of the drawbacks i think on paper but I do think some teams love him. And I think too, some teams see that in this NBA that the rules are made so that height isn't the necessarily the driver that it was before. Being able to be quick and attack and make plays has value. So I don't know. Maybe he's just kind of new school. 
But you could, you could be like, I think Trey Young this year coming, what he does his rookie year. Now they're not like Trey Young was obviously more like he did things nobody ever saw before. But the idea of Shamori Pons is similar ish, where it's super undersized guard who Falling will shoot score. from, yeah, yeah who will shoot from all over. Um, but not like Trey Young, like I, I don't like him as much as a prospect as other guys because he's not a dynamic athlete, but he's very shifty and he's very quick. But he finishes very poorly at the rim and all this other stuff, right? But whatever. I don't want to talk about Trey Young. But like, if he does very well in the NBA as a rookie or shows promise, that probably does bode well for Shamari Pons because then people will view at him differently. You know, what I mean? where maybe it's your point where that the mold he'll break the mold as Steph Curry. I mean, Steph Curry is also six three. There's a huge difference between six three and six one. But the if there's another example, teams will be less afraid to take a risk on a smaller guy. I hear you. So, I'm going to drop Shamori Pons for now. By the Do way, you have him is... in the lottery next year. That's what you're telling me. No, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how he plays and whether he hits threes. If he hits threes, I think somebody's convinced to take him. Totally. If he gets like in the 35% range, he's going to go. Yeah, and I think it'll be it'll be great. He'll make some money. Maybe he'll make some plays. Maybe he'll end up in Europe. Maybe he won't. You know, but yeah. he's gonna he's gonna do he's gonna live a good life. You know. Oh, totally. You know my feelings on this. You don't have to go to the NBA to have success as a basketball player. If you Makes can make money, money anywhere, yeah. If you make money, you you did it. It doesn't have to be in the NBA. Get out of this country, man. I mean, go and see the rest of the world. Go hang out in Spain if you can. You know, it's lovely yeah, over there. I did that thing on Omar Cook, whatever, four or five years ago about him. You know, not considering himself a failure, even though he left St. John's one year after one year. And he spent, you know, he bounced around the NBA for a little bit. And then he spent the rest of his life overseas. And he's like, I make six, like high six figures to play basketball. He's like, I don't think I'm a failure at all. And he's right. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I mean, if I could be a failure and get paid six figures, I'll take it. And live in Macedonia and be a Macedonian star. You oh, know? totally. I mean, people make fun of that. But some of you should go and visit Macedonia. You know, you'll have a good time. It'll be fun. It's weirdly cheap. You know, you'll eat a lot of good meat. You know, people are funny. They're happy to see you. You know, it's, you know, even like single, the, the, you know. Even the China basketball league craze, like Jamil Warning, who went to Stony Brook, um, who I've become friendly with over the years. Uh, he's done the G League route, and then he needed to make some real money. So he, he's going over to China, and he's not giving up on his NBA dream. Um, because he's, I think he's going to make it eventually. He did have a 10-day contract this past season. Um, he's going to go over there and put up absurd numbers, and they're going to offer him a ton of money. And I think that's okay. Like, not everything has to be LeBron James, you know, or, or bust. Yeah. I don't think that's a hot take, but I think a lot of casual fans view it that way. If a player leaves early or if he eligibility expires and they don't make the NBA, that somehow they're a failure. And I don't think that's really the – the barometer here, I think it's, you know, can you make money playing basketball? If you could make $12, you won playing basketball. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, that's... A, Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Cost $12. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Rumble in the Garden. Remember, rumbleinthegarden at gmail.com if you have comments, etc. Check us out on the Twitter web, etc. So, next topic. Mustafa Heron is an interesting case because he's coming because he is from the uh, New Haven area, I believe. 
Westfield, I think it was, Connecticut. And, um, and Heron is hoping to get a waiver from the NCAA so he can play this season after transferring from Auburn, where he averaged, uh, I think it was like, what, 15 points per game over for each of the two years. Um, Auburn went to the NCAA tournament last year. Um, you know, they were four seed, something like that. I don't remember. I actually just don't remember. Um, and they played pretty well. They won a game. Then they got, you know, their souls removed in the second game. Like Clemson, yeah. These things happen. But Mustafa Heron is coming so that he can be a little bit closer to his mom instead of being in Alabama, which is not anywhere close to his mom who's been sick. Um, And it was... uh... (laughs) I'm glad you brought up that point because that's going to be a waiver issue. Yeah, well, that that is the waiver issue. And now, here's the thing, though. A few years ago, I think it was uh, 2014, after the 2014 season, the NCAA pretty much, I thought, wrote that you cannot get a waiver for your, you know, for being closer to your sick family. And I suppose that seems heartless, but to me, it makes sense that I don't know that you should be traveling with a team necessarily if you're, you know, if you're ostensibly going to be taking care of a parent or, you know, being close to, to a sick relative, you know, that's like, you know, you should probably not take all that travel time. That's, you know, that's one line of thinking. But the other one is just that, I mean, I thought the NCAA said, you can't do this anymore. What do you think's going on? I think we've talked about this on a previous episode about them making that ruling. But um, maybe they're trying to angle it slightly different where it's not a hardship waiver for a sick relative. Um, I don't know, because the point you made about them not necessarily... Um, whether it be New Haven or Waterbury or wherever in Connecticut, he's not necessarily like five minutes away from home. Um, now it's that he's an hour and about Jones. 30 minutes. I, I mean, that's not actually too bad. Like I thought it was gonna be a little bit worse than that, but there's other division one schools in Connecticut. Maybe, maybe, maybe the rights closer. I don't know than UConn. I don't know the, the actual logistics of it all, but, um, the hardship waiver thing is, Maybe they're banking on the NCAA needing a public win. The only thing here is it's not like St. John's is such a national name that this is something people would celebrate. Even if he got, you know, the hardship waiver, it relative go relatively under the radar nationally. But that's I'm guessing this is the angle his people are going for is that like listen, I do believe that he wants to be closer to his mother. Like I'm not calling him a liar. But the angle here is that I think they're hoping that the NCAA wants a a perception win in the public's eyes. Joseph, I feel like you are way too cynical. I am very cynical. Way cynical. So well, that's that's why I that's why I had to drop the thing is I do believe he's trying to be close to his mother. Yeah, like, I, I mean this is that... this is a legitimate thing from from everything that I've heard, um, and I think that there is you know there's some merit to the idea that you know maybe. There's this hope that the NCAA is just kind of like, eh, we don't want to die on this hill anymore. I, I just don't know. Like, I, I haven't seen any evidence that they're not willing to die on this hill because the NCAA dies on all sorts of ridiculous <laughs> damn yeah. hills. And we're all like, why are you doing this? Don't do this. Um, you know, and, and let's not, I don't like acting like the NCAA is like a bunch of mean mommies. They are 
essentially elected by the member schools. So in some way, whatever they're doing and whatever is okay with the member schools is what's okay with the member schools. It's just done through this thing called the NCAA. So you can absolve everybody else of, of, uh, of complicity, you know? So these crappy rules are the schools in some fashion, you know? Oh, totally. They're just an arm. Like, lost in this whole, like, it's easy to bash the NCAA. Like, and I totally get it. I've done it for years. Um, I made a lot of money bashing the NCAA. But it, all they are, they're the Roger Goodell of college basketball or college football, for that matter. They're just the face that's taking the beating. And they're just obeying what all the uni- university members want. It's no university say, members. Yeah. yeah, that's what they want. Like, yeah, every once in a while you're here, um, you know, athletic director X from school Y complain about the NCAA, but these schools are, for the lack of a better, like they're in cahoots with the NCAA. The NCAA does, you know, all the university members bidding. And they make, and these schools make money hand over fist for, you know, for a wacky dodge about the student athlete and their welfare. And, you know, in some places, you know, I think about like the UMBCs of the world. Honestly, those, those kids are, you know, probably they're getting an education. They're not there you know, just to be like, you know, make that UMBC money, you know, but you have on the higher levels, I don't think you can, you can't make that same, you know, that's not the same argument because it's not the same game and it's a different level of money. And then you get the whole paying the players thing anyway, but we're we're getting off topic. Always. (laughs) But uh, yeah, the Mustafa Heron thing is like really interesting because I don't know what it is that they're looking at that makes them think that they can get the waiver. It'll be cool if they did. Oh, actually, let me let me backtrack a little bit and say that when you asked about schools that are closer to Heron, when I, you know, went into the, the, into the map application to see how long it would take to get from Queens to there, you know what? You can get most of the way there on the subway in Metro North. And have you tried to get from stores to anywhere else? You can't. This is true. There's like, I think apparently a bus service, but it's not easy. So Stories is the devil's playground. I still don't know how Jim Calhoun got people there. (laughs) I still don't. It's the greatest. Listen, man, whatever you think about Jim Calhoun, and I'm going off topic again, that's the greatest trick any college basketball has ever pulled. Him regularly getting good players to go to Stores, Connecticut. I mean, we'll see if Hurley can do it. And I I mean, and I don't want to talk Hurley because it's such a flashpoint among the St. John's fans but i just kind of think i mean he's good but uconn's not i mean there's not a lot that's appealing there except for the fact that you know they're willing to pour money into things you know and there might be something about how you know calhoun's successor started to fall short in terms of like getting the right guys to campus i don't know whatever but it's a tougher job than like I understand the allure. It's you kind. You think of it a blue as a blue blood of college basketball. It's a way harder place to win than people think. Yeah, you're not near anything. You're in a mediocre conference at best, and that's great. You can win it, but if you're not like dominating that conference, you're not going to see the NCAA tournament. You don't get like you know Penn State's. Okay, Penn State didn't make it this year, but you know what I mean. You know that kind of like level the benefit of, of a doubt. Yeah, that kind of level of mediocrity where you can still get into the tournament. And I don't know. I think that that's a lot. That's a bigger issue than, than people might think. 
But anyway, back to Mustafa Heron because we're rambling. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So what do you think about the idea, though, that players should be able to transfer fe- freely and be able to play at their next institution immediately? What do you think about that idea? All right. So, like, I'm super well-noted player rights guy. And sometimes you have to take a a stance that's actually bad for the sport for the sake of player and labor rights. So while I think transfer without penalty would actually hurt college basketball, I think it's the correct thing to do in terms of labor and player rights, which we've kind of, you know, not we, but, you know, college basketball has has ignored since its existence, especially as it grown into a a billion-dollar business. And I do think there are regulations that can be put in place. I'm not saying only if you have a certain GPA should you be allowed to do so. I'm saying, yeah, maybe you could do it if it's after your freshman year or if a coach gets fired or if, like, there might be at least certain terms attached to it to make it happen. But I don't think it's going to be this free agency thing where, like, everybody believes it is. I did a piece, so it might be the numbers might be a little outdated now. Two years ago, I actually did all the numbers of the people that were re- transferring that year. It was 700 people. Uh, Percentage-wise, that's way lower than the, the the number of normal students that transfer. So this isn't like just kids leaving, like like a- athletes leaving school at this higher rate than normal students. It was actually lower, and the majority of uh, student athletes actually either transferred down or out of Division One basketball completely. So I don't think this is going to be just the big programs rating smaller ones. And let's be clear, the moment we realize that college basketball is actually a business and an entertainment, um, you know, business, you know, the smaller schools don't have a right to stay open if they can't compete. You know, just like if you open up a donut shop next to Dunkin' Donuts, doesn't mean you have a right, you have a right to open it. You're not entitled to stay open. Yeah, I kind of I hear that. I mean, I think it's weird, like, Though in this case, I'm sort of like, I don't understand why I don't I don't know what the rationale will be to say Heron should get uh, a chance to play. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. And we'll talk about the effect of it right after this. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the whole free agency thing is like, whoop de do. You know, honestly, people don't like leaving that much. You've got. You know, smarter kids will know like, hey, you know, I'm going to stick with the the coach I know instead of the coach I don't. And some guys will move on. But if you keep if everybody keeps moving, you're going to have a real problem and people won't think that you're, you know, serious about the game. And, you know, it's like, you know, you want to stop and build something wherever you are. So I don't you know, I'm not too worried about transfers. I do think it's over. You know, it's overblown by a long shot. And most of the transfers aren't impact players. No. They're just they, they leave because they're not getting time. Yeah, they're ancillary pieces, no matter the level of whatever. And, of course, every once in a while, there's guys that are good that go to other schools or guys that transfer up. There are those people. But of the, like, whatever the number was this year, you know, they do all those pieces where they say 800 transfers this year. Oh, my goodness. It was lower this year. I thought it was, like, 700-something. Yeah, seven hundred. Like whatever it is, ninety-five percent of those players you'll never hear from again. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 
most of them are don't matter. They're ancillary pieces. They're just trying to find playing time or fit. Like it's not just playing time. They matter. And what's that? In, they in matter. Nevada? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking on verbal commits, and it's 673 this year, which is actually a lot less than uh, than previous years. That's a way less. Well, not way less. It's been around the 700 and 800 mark. 700, believe, 800. Right? Yeah. And I'm looking at some of the schools that kids have committed to recently. St. Leo, Cal State, Dominguez Hills. Yeah. Kent State. Okay, that's okay. Roman Penn went to Drake. I'm going to miss Roman Penn. I watched him at Siena. That kid can ball. Uh, McNeese State, Oklahoma Baptist, McLennan Community College, North Georgia. Well, what I, that's what I'm saying. Most of these guys go nowhere. Do you know that? Like, and not, not, and I'm not trying to be demeaning. But... I'm not trying to be demeaning to them. But they're not going to anywhere anybody cares about. They're just getting some some playing time somewhere, you know, getting a good, getting an education. Yeah, I mean, and this is what everybody swears they want. So, like, want these kids to do. This is why, for the longest time, on what ESPN or CBS or whoever were showing the games, they used to show the GPA and the major of the kid because they wanted to make those kids, those student athletes, more uh, consumable to old white people. And nobody really cares. Nobody actually cares about, you know, if they're getting an education or not. Well, they just want, want to know, know that they can throw it down. Yeah, but, you know, they'll tell you they care about the education, but nobody really cares. I don't care. I, I honestly don't because I'm watching it because I like basketball. I'm not watching it because I want to know if Mustafa Heron is really into engineering or not. But it's kind of fun to find out. No, no, it is. The human interest part is as much a part of college basketball as the games. Do you know what I mean? Like, it really is. But... Nobody really cares if he gets his engineering. Like, I don't know if he's I picked engineering out of my head. But nobody really cares if he becomes this great engineering technician in the world. Do you know what I mean? Nobody yeah. actually cares. Nobody's going to read was, that, that article on NCAA.com. You know, it's not, you know, it's just not a thing. You know, it's like kind of no. cute. And then it goes away. Right. And if he was a bad player or a bad prospect or somebody, nobody like if we never heard of him, if he wasn't at Auburn and we didn't think he'd be good, nobody would care. You know what I mean? It's just one of those deals where now we're getting off topic. And I apologize. This is my fault. We keep getting off topic is we want to make all these people, all these kids consumable. And we want to put it in this, this, this disguise of academics and academia and all this other stuff. And it's all hogwash. And that's why, back to circling back to the transfer thing where people say well you know this isn't good for the kid they don't know what they're doing it should be about academics a lot of these kids are doing it for academics do you know what i mean so like let's not just put up like every kid that transfers is doing it for playing time they're clearly not all doing it that way yeah i mean you're going to learn something new and i think it's good to have different experiences you know see how it is to acclimate to somewhere else and maybe the kids will actually take those lessons and maybe they won't you know because so many kids go through college and just you know they come out it's like they didn't go anywhere you know what i mean like they didn't well how many kids do you know that went went to college and transferred or didn't finish or they sat out a year then went somewhere else like it's quite a few i i know tons of people that did that and we don't go you know that makes you a less your character's less because you went to one two different colleges. You know the the only reason I know anything about Vanderbilt and its culture was because my college had like two or three Vanderbilt uh, transfers, and I was like, oh, fascinating. And I love the the transfers we got junior year because they were really interesting people. It was like people came from a lot of different places and a lot of different backgrounds to try and you know get into what was a pretty good school and get and finish your education. And it was interesting to see how, you know, how business-like they were, I guess. 
And maybe there's something to be said for that too. You know, that when you, you know, you pick up steak, it's then you move on to something else. You realize that like you're running out of opportunity and you need to maximize it as best as you can. And I think that in a way that that's what these, these players are doing, you know, they're, they're looking for that other opportunity, learning a few new things, a few new tricks maybe making something out of basketball, but maybe just learning something about life, you know, and taking the adventure where it takes you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I know people will use the counter of like Andrew White, but he's the outlier. Most of the kids are just trying to, you know, figure out like they're kids and they're trying to figure out life just like any other college kid. And sometimes part of that process is moving around a lot or a little bit, you know, not a lot, a little bit. Again, you're listening to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. Does it help people? Does it help when I say that so they know that what they're listening to and they're not just like, I'm driving in my car. Why am I listening to these two <laughs> dopes talk about you have a, stuff? Listen, you have a sexy voice. This is going to keep them in. I've got a sexy voice. Uh, well, now you ruined it. Now you're creepy. Yeah, now, I, now I just went, went, went phone sex operator here. <laughs> um, and I didn't even, I didn't even whip out so to speak, Whoa. the fact that uh, there's a guy named Thomas Smallwood who's transferring to uh, to Chattanooga. Choo-choo. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Thomas Smallwood. I'm really sorry. That was wildly immature of me. <sighs> I'm going to take a break. Thank you for listening. No. Uh, so the, the, the thing that I, I wanted to touch on after that, though, is... So what if Mustafa Heron actually, you know, is allowed to play probably sometime in September because that's how they've, no, probably more like October because that's usually the NCAA's timeline. I, I don't know if St. John's fans remember uh, Marc-Antoine Borgo and uh, Orlando Sanchez and Felix Balabu all had situations where the NCAA ended up uh, not uh, clearing them to play until I think the second week of games. So like deep into November. And that's the thing that I think St. John should expect that Mustafa Heron probably isn't going to be on the floor, um, you know, for the first game or whatever. But with that said, people seem to be a little hyped about St. John's. Now I'll say that I think some of that just like, and, and this actually touches on your idea of maybe the NCAA wants a, a win and you're wondering if it's uh, you know, big enough. I think that things around St. John's always seem a little bit bigger than they are or they should be because St. John's is in New York. And I think that the media people who cover St. John's get a lot of national coverage. Like people read this stuff and it's not like, you know, being in Iowa or being in Idaho or Louisiana or something. You know what I mean? That... Uh, you know, St. John's, when St. John's is good, it rings out uh, across the country weirdly. So with that in mind, you know, there does seem to be a lot of hype around St. John's and some people almost talking like top 25 or, you know, I, I don't remember what John Rothstein said, but, you know, it's the best talent in the Big East or something like that. Um, and especially with a reduced Big East with, you know, a lot of players graduating, I think of the top 20 uh scores 
I think only two of them are coming back being uh, Pons and uh, Marquette's Marcus Howard. I think that was from Anonymous Eagle. Hat tip, bruh. Um, so, Joe, what do you think about the hype around St. John's? Uh, I get, I feel like we do this, not we, again, I keep saying we, I feel like this happens every year for the reasons you said, and I'm one of them. I like college basketball when Madison Square Garden matters and St. John's is good because it's fun and, um, a college basketball crowd in the garden when it's rowdy, it's electric. And I think, you know, people want that. I also think because of that and because of the reach of the right of the media in New York, we have a habit of, or they have a habit of overselling St. John's every single season, going back to even to the Steve Lavin years, where it was always like, this is the year, great talent, everything's going to click. And I feel like it, it's, it's happened year after year after year after year. And they show, and every year they show just enough to be like, well, they're just one more year away. And I told you last year, I remember telling you this last year, that I don't think they're DePaul. I don't think they're like the sleeping giant like DePaul. Like DePaul's not a sleeping giant. They're just dead. I do think that St. John's is a sleeping giant. I just think they're kind of in a coma. So I'm at the point where like I can't believe any of this till I actually see it. And like one NCAA tournament every three, four, five years doesn't really announce them back. And I actually don't think they have so much talent to the point where I'm like, yeah, this is the year. Like until we know if Heron's going to be able to play or not, even with Pons back, who I know is going to be like, you know, he's going to be one of the favorites to win Biggie's Player of the Year, as he should be. I still, I'm still not going to be able to be like, yeah, they're definitely going to make the NCAA tournament, and they should be a top twenty-five team. I'm just not there yet. Oh, I hear you. I mean, I, I think that that's that's a little that's some uh-huh. high cotton, I suppose, is the phrase. I, I do, I do actually think, though, I think that there's a lot of potential here. I think that having an actual big man who is big is helpful because one of the big problems last year is that St. John's just struggled to hold position in the paint because the center was Tariq Owens and Kasumi Akwe is similarly skinny. So if you have, if you have um, Kata and you have hopefully Josh Roberts to give a few minutes and hopefully Marcellus Erlington maybe giving a few minutes, I don't know. Maybe you can steal a few possessions there, here and there, or end a few possessions here and there with some hard work. And then from there, you've got not a bad squad. You've got Simon and Justin Simon and, and Shimori Pons. You've got LJ Figueroa, who is a scorer and has been a scorer at every level. And I don't see why that wouldn't continue. Mikey Dixon, who looks like he might be a guy that people just didn't know about because he was from Delaware. You've got uh brian trimble to pop in some threes here and there and give some spell some guys i don't know that's not bad you know you've got marvin clark if he can you know keep that high shooting percentage up and maybe give a give in a few more rebounds that's not a terrible team oh I'm, i don't I've think... forgotten somebody haven't i um greg williams the freshman i mean they, they seem to be high on him but you know it's, it's sort of like i think he might be good i don't know he's a freshman yeah, and like obviously, they're not going to play like a nine-man rotation. I don't think they'll play in a nine-man rotation. But will. you do, yeah, because I think that, and this this actually gets to one of our our listener questions um, from Joe V. 
um, you know, about how playing time will split, split and whether, whether the kids will be happy. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I think they're end up, they're going to end up playing a nine man rotation. And here's my thinking. I think that they're going to want to run. And I think that last year there were definitely guys who had spurts of the game where they just were not playing well. And I think that you want to sit those guys down. I think you want to sit Justin Simon down when he's making, you know, one too many wild passes. You know, you want to sit Shamori Pons when he seems like he's pressing too hard, you know? Um, And from there, I think you want to give Dixon a little time to create and make shots. You want to give Figueroa might be able to create a little bit too. If Heron's there in particular, you might want to play him there to like, you know, sort of all loosen up things, you know, sort of like a, you know, like punching a few times to see if you can't, uh, you know, loosen some of the teeth, <laughs> if you will. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see them not going fairly deep into the bench because I don't think that anybody's like, with the possible exception of Trimble, I suppose, I don't think anybody's like, Oh, somebody you'd sit down. And I think that the way Trimble played, especially as the year went on, I think he does a thing that's really useful. He's a guy who can hit shots, hopefully defend, and he doesn't command shots. And I think that that's really useful on a team with, say, Pons and Dixon or Pons and Heron. You know what I mean? Like you can't have, you can't have like a bunch of guys all trying to jack up shots. Well, that's, I think maybe that's part of this discussion as well is say Heron gets the, the waiver and he's playing next to Pons. You, I, you assume they're going to play next to each other. I mean, yeah, you're not like, they're going to start. Um, is this going to be a situation where they have to share shots or are they going to stagger their minutes a little bit? Um, which isn't a horrible idea. A lot of, like a lot of coaches do do this with, they have two, um, dynamic scores where, you know, like. Listen, Pons played like 37 minutes per game last year. That's a That's lot. That's too much. Yes. And I mean, I, I think Simon Justin played, Simon played a ton too, yeah, right? Yeah, Simon played like 50 minutes in the double overtime game. He played like 40 minutes in a number of other games. It's like... So there are minutes to like be like, hey, like, listen, Shamari Pons shouldn't have played. Like, no college player should play 37 minutes per game. Like, you don't have to take a ton. Like, but if you take three or four minutes off him, three or four minutes off Simon, all of a sudden, you know, you're almost adding a whole guy to the rotation. So maybe I'm wrong in that regard because if you get a guy like Heron or, you know, like, listen, I actually like Brian Trimble a lot. I think he has potential to be a really good rotational player if he could play defense. And I know, like, the last couple of games last season, he was pretty awful. But, like, he showed, you know, games that he could shoot and he could make shots and he he could be one of those guys where you, like you mentioned, I think it's a really good point. When you have guys that could score like Pons or Heron, and, you know, like, like, listen, Justin Simon doesn't exactly shoot a ton, but he wants to get his touches. And other guys are wanting his touches. Trimble doesn't demand anything. He's just kind of like, let me get out there. I fill a role. I'll help with spacing, hopefully. And I'll get after it on defense. And I think those guys are important. So maybe, why, like, I don't think he's going to play, like, unless he's improved dramatically. His minutes might see a, a slight de- decrease from last year as well. Sure, Even, he's playing, like, 25 minutes a game at a first well, stretch. I mean, that's... That's and the Lovett thing throughout the, the, the whole rotation kind of got thrown in a loop when Lovett, you know, went down, went away. Yeah. So I don't think Mullen really, you know, like his rotation, like, and it's understandable. Like you lose, you know, your second best player on a team where you thought you're going to be, you know, this, this backcourt dynamic duo. And, you know, that goes away, you know, he played seven games last year. So 
I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm admitting in real time after talking it out, you're right and I'm wrong. They're probably going to do a nine-man rotation. And the thing, I mean, the thing is, like, here's what I'm, what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you've got Heron and Pons who will be high-usage guys, you know, like 26 28% uh, of the shots. And somebody's going to cover one of them well, and they'll learn how to pass and make them make each of them look better for the NBA, right? Um, from there, you've got Justin Simon, who might have taken a few more shots than he should have, because there were games where he either had it cooking or nobody else had it cooking, and he took some shots. Uh, you know, and, and, and some of those left him kind of out there just like making ridiculous like oh crap where am i you know he had a 10 turnover game against providence that's that's ridiculous and he's not it's not that he's bad it's just that he sometimes will force it and sometimes you just want to be able to get him and other guys into space and have them concentrate on that instead of trying to concentrate in the half court maybe they can push a little bit harder in transition and then guys just get the shots that they get right so, you know, you've got the two of them. You've got Marvin Clark who could, you know, he was like a 20% of shots guy. He could take a few, a, a, maybe some, a, a few fewer shots. CDK, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. He'll probably get some touches. But then you've got guys like, I'm imagining like Greg Williams either will be like, you know, 17 to 20% guy, sort of like the second or third scorer. Or will be, you know, one of those guys who just gets after it on defense, maybe gets out in transition, throws down his dunks. He's like, he seems like a good team player, you know. Trimble can be that guy too. Josh Roberts can be that guy too. Erlington can be that guy too while he's figuring out what his game's going to be as a 6'5", 250, small forward, whatever he is. You know what I mean? So that's how, how I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it like there's a lot of guys who can be, you know, kind of low usage, but not as low usage and not there as like Kasum Yakwe or Amar Alabegovic were at times on the floor. I think that's a good point. I think by design, even if Heron doesn't get cleared and you have Pons, it's going to be one of those deals where it's really going to be built around his usage. And I mean, if Heron's not cleared, somebody like Simon's going to have to shoot. It'll you know be I mean? Dixon, actually. It'll be Dixon and Figueroa. Who'll step in and do you think Dixon? Shots. Do you like listen? I I I've I've only watched a handful of his games. Do you think he's this undiscovered? Like he was this under radar player that's going to transfer really well, or do you think he's just one of these guys that did really well at a lower level that's going to get eaten alive? I think. I don't know. I, I'm asking so, earnestly. Wait, I don't I, I'm, really... I'm, I'm thinking through my response. So. The thing I want to say is that I've, I feel like when you talk to coaches and you hear from coaches, there's certain things that they say that pique your interest. And the way that they've talked about Dixon makes me think that they do believe that he can be that kind of guy, you know, that he can be this sort of, um, like a fairly dynamic scorer. And I've seen his games. I even, you know, before he transferred, I watched him and uh, Peter Kiss at Quinnipiac. And I remember thinking, that Peter Kiss kid should play at a higher level. And Dixon, I was sort of like, meh. Because he didn't do much in that game. He, like, everything was very, not slow, but they were playing very deliberately, trying to get the ball inside. I think that Dixon has some game, and I think he has some quickness that's pretty shifty. 
I don't know. I mean, I think if he can hit shots and he can get shots, I think he's got the athleticism to play on this level. And I think he has the ability to make tough shots in the way that Pons can. I don't know yet. We don't know yet. But I think that just the history of uptransfers tells me that he should be able to play. I mean, I hope maybe I'm scarred from the whole Max Hooper thing. Well, Max Hooper was wildly misused. Like he did. Oh no, I'm thing. not blaming Max Hooper, but like he came in and everybody said that he's going to cut. Listen, his numbers actually weren't. I know he didn't play a lot, but his efficiency numbers, especially well, from three, were still amazing. good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but like you know, he never saw the court. I think he played like nine minutes per game in Saint, with Saint John's. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it might even be lower than that. And. But when he when he came over, it was as if you know they got a super steal and it was going to change everything. And then he never played a lot. Like, you know, I mean, not, look, I mean, mean, I think that the the coach then certainly was given to both hype and to just forgetting about players on his roster. So, you know, and he didn't enjoy hyperbole and feeding that into the media. Yes. And I don't know that the staff is quite the same way, even though there is some hype, you know, case in point, Richard Freudenberg, who, you know, didn't really see any time, but also was just sort of like, you know, played an awkward game and wasn't as good as I think he should have been. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm the Richard Freudenberg fan club right here. So, you know, how <laughs> um, fun fact, Max Hooper didn't end up finishing, you know, strongly at Oakland. Yes, yes. He's big finished really strongly at Oakland. He was... Awesome. He was very good. Yeah, I think he shot like 46 or 47% for three his last year in college. He's a stinking machine. Yeah. I mean, the hype turned out to be right just at a different place two years later. So let me t- bring in another um, another listener question from C underscore Toma. What's the team ceiling this year? Now, the you, ceiling? of course, being the negative guy, probably say the ceiling is the floor. No, the ceiling. Uh, could, could I use the caveat that I'm gonna pretend Heron's got cleared? Do you, yeah, but or do you, or do you want me to talk it out first while you think on it? Yes, you talk it out first so I can steal your thunder. Okay, assuming Heron is cleared, the ceiling is I say fourth in the Big East in a decent Big East and. The Johnnies make the NCAA tournament no higher than a uh, eight seed, probably lower. That's the ceiling. lower as in lower as in worse or lower as in better because I always get confused how that. Oh, works. I'm sorry, lower as in worse. Yeah, you're, you mean higher? I mean the eight seed or like maybe like a nine or ten. Just given the the history of the Big East and the seeds that the the, the teams have gotten, and the Big East is going to be weaker next year. I think outside of uh, nearly dominant Villanova. I think the other teams will not get high seeds. I don't think I don't see top four seeds. Just the way that the team, the the league should shake out next year. So but that's a really good ceiling, and I think that's. I think if you're the fourth, like because people are already talking as if the Big East won't be as good next year, and especially with the turnover at Villanova, um, because the national perception is you know, Villanova, it's Villanova, and then it's kind of everybody else, and it's not accurate at all. But with the turnover there, and people are gonna look down on the Big East a little bit. So if they, even if they do finish fourth, I think you're right. Like the eighth seed in the NCAA tournament does sound about right. 
And I, I, I'm, I'm with you. With Heron, I think that's kind of their ceiling. I also think they're the kind, with Heron, that they're the kind of team that can make a small run in the tournament, too. Sure. I mean, you know, they're guard-oriented if, they're, if they defend well and they're aggressive. And as an aside, I mean, the, the, the thing that's blown my head about this iteration of St. John's is that I think that Chris Mullen really likes defense. I don't know that he and his staff are even teaching offense all that well. Because they want them to – no, I mean they want them to do these certain things. They want them to move the ball, spread the ball, but it doesn't seem to actually end up that way, especially in Big East play. It's something they need to work on. But the defensive concepts have been pretty good. And last year I thought that you know there were two games near the end of the season where Shamori Pons was injured. And the team defended so ferociously against Providence and against Butler. It was like – what are we watching here? You know, it was like they were just good at defense. They were able to ugly up the game and execute a game plan. And that's, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. You know, I've watched SEC teams. So, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. that that's kind of a joke, but I mean, I feel like I've seen so many SEC teams where you're like, they're so talented and they execute like they're like, like they've got like, itching powder in their pants and a, <laughs> and a, and a, a, a hot date with a video game after afterwards. Like, what are you guys doing? Like execute, do something. Don't just like run at the basket and go, Oh man. I think you're, I think the defensive points actually super important because if it doesn't matter if Heron cleared or not, they're going to need to be a good above average defensive. Very, team. very above average defensive. Yeah. They're, they're going to have to. Yeah. To be competitive. And, Especially if somebody like Pons is off, is to be in those games, you're gonna have to make the other. You're gonna like St. John's. I have now. You can tell me if I'm wrong because this has just been my percep- perception over the years. So it could be confirmation bias how I started to view it because I, you know, you you observe something and then you just keep you know confirming it to yourself even if it's not true. I always thought they had a habit of playing up to competition and then playing down to competition as well. And they always had, but they always seem like, you know, with Mullen last year, especially towards the end, having this great ability to make really good teams look awful. Yeah. Like not like out of their, out of the, out of their own sorts. Like, like it didn't really matter that, you know, the other team might've had more talent or the other coach had more experience. Somehow Chris Mullen and the guys on the floor just were like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just gonna make this super ugly. And it, you're going to fall for it as well. Yeah. I mean, I think Pons is, you know, again, I think he's a better defender than you gave him credit for, and I think he's annoying. I think Bashir Ahmed, low-key, did an amazing job of improving his defense last year. But I think the most important piece might be Justin Simon, who's, by the way, his like defensive plus-minus numbers are surprisingly solid. Or not surprisingly, I mean, they're just really solid. And if you watched him play, you saw that he was kind of, disruptive he's six foot five he's long he's everywhere he's strong he's chasing dudes i mean i think he he made a difference you know they kind of had this like web of of arms that was hard to get anything into and they're quick i think they have a lot of that again this year i don't know what it what that means without Tariq owens because he was probably the most intriguing defensive player he might have not have been big but he was fast and he was everywhere he could recover he could block he was bothersome so i don't know i i, I really i mean that's really i didn't even think about that point you just made 
And I think that's a very important part of this dynamic here. And I don't know how Heron projects defensively. And if he is cleared, there's going to be an adjustment period where he's going to have to figure this all out with, with the team on the fly. But, man, you're making me th- – I'm going to get stuck in the mud here thinking about the fact that, you know, they lost the big end the inside and how this is going to affect their defense. So I, I don't know if you want to pivot off this because now I'm stuck in the mud. No, no, no. I'll, I will, I will turn away because this is something I want to come back to later in the se- in the off season because it's an interesting idea. Like Heron is more of a steals guy as a defender, but I think he's supposed to be a pretty decent defender. I don't know. I didn't watch the Auburn games that much, um, but without a guy who's just like long and everywhere, I don't know. Maybe it's actually better to have uh, a forward who takes up size, holds position, puts his arms out and holds it and lets somebody get a rebound, you know? Or maybe As opposed worse. to the block, as, as opposed to, like, the last couple big men, not the last couple, but, you know, they had, like, Owens and they had Obekba a couple years before that. Yeah. Like, the Guys who shot don't hold position, yeah, and who don't rebound. Right, and that's always, man, that's always, not just St. John's, but in general, like, so many good shot blockers in college, or shot block chasers, maybe, is the better word to describe them, and none of them could rebound. Not none of them, but most. Well, of them none of them, none of the ones at the lower, like yeah, Mo Bamba could rebound, but like you know what I mean, like the guys like go back lower all ones. Like you're six eleven, you could jump out of a gym. You're clearly good at timing things, but you can't get a rebound. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I like Tariq Owens. I think he's. Uh... You know, I want him to pursue his dreams. I got no problem people, with him. People think very highly of him nationally. Very highly. Of Owens? Yes, yeah. they do. I, I've read a couple of things. I'm going to blank on the stuff that I've read, but they think he was one of the most, like, 10 most impactful transfers. But as we talked before, most transfers don't really have an impact. So I don't know what to put into that, but people really like him. I think they should. I mean, he's just such, such a unique player. Well, there's not a ton of dudes, like, I call them more like shot block chasers because they're not always efficient with their shot blocking if you're hunting them down. I don't think he was necessarily hunting them down either. Um, but I think a lot of times people just look at the, the you know, the counting numbers and they don't necessarily see them play a lot. And I think he's a fine player and he's going to be okay. It's just like I, he's not somebody that I've ever felt enamored with to the point where even when he was leaving – I go, that, that destroys St. John's. But like you said, you made the point before and it stuck me in the mud. So what do I know? Man, that guy's, Tariq Owens' speed and recovery is truly elite. It's it's just like, it's, he's just got a weird game. You know, like he wants to take threes. He's, you know, not necessarily strong in the post, but he can cover so much ground. He can get steals. His fingers just get in there. You know, it's like, That's what know. she said. Yeah, that is what she... Oh, no, I just took that. Um, anyway, but enough about Tariq Owens, because that was not on our topic list. So, um, what's your? who's your favorite non-St. John's Big East player? No one. I'm St. John's Homer. All right. Mine, Kevin Pitsnoggle, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh not in the Big East. Well, they were. It was in nope, the 2000s. They weren't. It's all a lie. It's only the Catholic 7. That's it. You need to stop. You need to stop with us right now. Do not disrespect the city of Pittsburgh. All right. Last question. Oh, I will. You you got what you deserved with Kevin Stallings. I kid. I kid. You didn't. Nobody deserves Kevin Stallings. Nobody. Pittsburgh is too good of a city for that. It's a beautiful city, really. It's really lovely. I love love the hell out of that city. No wonderful people from that city. Absolutely. Okay. I hope they know I was kidding. 
Last question. How can Mullen stem the tide of transfers from John, from John H? Uh, I think it's the way you mentioned before, the nine-man rotation. It's you got to give everybody a little bit of what they want. I think no matter what basketball program you are, you're going to lose guys. You know what I mean? It's just part of part of the you know the deal. It's just trying not to lose guys that are important enough to help build the program, even if they're only rotational guys. And the nine-man rotation, if you're correct, will will help. And another thing that will help a lot too, even though it's not good for the season. But it would be good for you know everybody getting their time is Heron not getting cleared. Sure, I mean I think they have too many players. It's and but even if he does get cleared, it's like I don't know how that's going to coexist with Eli Wright and uh, David Carraher. But you know what? You can never say like oh I don't want to have too much talent. I mean that's just silly, and that's why I think there's going to be a nine man rotation. I think you know a good coach or even a mediocre coach takes what they're given and tries to put all the talent they can on the floor. And I know people have their opinions about Mullen as a coach, though I think that the staff does some things well, does some things badly, like, and almost in like, uh, like, like a weird seesaw sort of way. Like, I do think that there are a few things that they do badly that are, are of inexperience. You know, there's no like division one, former division one coach on the roster, you know, it's, just, you know, the management of things and the execution at the end of games was, was like was was weird. But I also think that they managed to find ways of scoring and of of staying in games last year that really was impressive. So I, I don't know. I mean I think that they find a way and make it happen. I and like let's say worst case scenario, right? The worst case scenario. Say you're right about Dixon, right? And then Heron gets cleared, and it's Pons, and then you have Justin Simon. And say, through all this, Brian Trimble Jr. loses minutes, right? If he loses minutes because the other guys are so good, and then he ends up transferring out, did you really lose? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're if you're losing a guy because you're just so much talent ahead of him, there's no stopping that. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's just going to leave. Yeah, you know I mean, mean? Like, I, think, it, I think people... You know, people get upset about all the transfers, but most of them at St. John's have been because guys know that they're not going to get the time that they did before. And These better players are coming, like for Trimble's sake, maybe. They might have been, you know, like, listen, I'm not saying that, I don't know, like, what Mullen's complete idea here is, but if he falls in that rotation with Dicks and Pons, and then, you know, if Heron, if Heron gets cleared and then there's Simon... I know Simon could move over if they if they have to, but you know if he falls in that grouping and he loses out, I mean it's kind of hard. It's, you can't really expect him to stay. Yeah, I mean because it's like the the um because all those guys could be back the following year as well. Yeah, you know what I, I mean, theory, I, mean so. I don't expect Pons to go. I mean Justin Simon might stay. I mean, they're they're going to get other players. Hopefully, you know, they're probably hoping for like Jalen Gaffney and Coffee Cockburn. But it, yeah, I mean, there's a reason for him to just say, yeah, I'm going to go back home or go back to, you know, go to somewhere else and get a little bit more time. And that's, you know, good for him if he chooses that. Or he could even go pro. And I know somebody's going to laugh at that when they listen to it. I know you're driving right now and you're laughing. But I think that Brian Trimble has proven that he has a certain skill and honestly, if Mussini can go pro, why can't Trimble? They're kind of the same player, except 
Mussini, you know, can get up a few more shots. And Mussini's super fun to watch play. I love irrational confidence basketball players. Love them. Really does have it. Oh, and Jack Kiefer Sykes in my veins. Remember him? From oh Green Bay? Kiefer Sykes, yeah. With that, Anywho's. I'm gonna I'm gonna call this Rumble in the Garden podcast nearer to a close because it's getting late. I need to sleep, you need to sleep, and we need to get this thing edited and up. So Joe, you want to tell people one more time where they can find your work? Um, find me on Twitter at Joseph Nerdone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. Please subscribe to the Off the Wall podcast on iTunes. You can Off find the Wall? Off the Wall podcast with Jared Mintz and myself. And uh, I'll keep you guys posted about where my college basketball will be for the season. Excellent. And you've been listening to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. This is Norman of Rumble in the Garden. Thanks to for our listener questions from Jared C. Toma, John H., and Joey V. Um, thank the listeners for listening, for paying attention, and for uh, communicating with us on the Twitter, on Facebook, where you can find us, and also for commenting on the site. We've had a, a really entertaining uh, you know set of weeks because there's been so much activity, and I know it's getting into that you know kind of lull part of the year but you know i hope that uh, people you know keep sticking around and shooting us ideas and asking what they want us to explore you know, here on the podcast or on the site uh we appreciate everybody and and their contributions uh again this is norman rumble in the garden um find you can email us at rumble in the garden at gmail.com uh this has been the rumble in the garden podcast and we are signing off after what's this like an hour man oh my god